Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles to the New Testament book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, our text this morning. The last Sunday of the year, I use the reserve for the state of the church. And uh, that's what I want to do today. Now, when we talk about the church, we mean it in two ways. First of all, is what uh, we sometimes affectionately call the church big C. That means the church universal. Every Christian from every epoch of history and every tribe and nation And then the Bible speaks most specifically and most often about local congregations, little c, of which this church, First Baptist Church of Keller, is one. Now there are certain truths about the church writ large that are true and unchanging. They're also true about the local church. And so I thought I would begin this morning with those things before moving to our specific local vision plan. Now here in chapter 3 of Colossians, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers about the union between themselves as believers and Christ. How he gave us life when we were spiritually dead and how we have died with Christ and been made to uh, be raised with Christ through his resurrection. Now those are wonderful and deep and difficult doctrines, but they are very practical and important. So Paul writes here in verse 1 of chapter 3 the word therefore. That is in light of these deep theological doctrines, these truths, here's how the Lord wants you to live. And so let's begin there in verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Now, in my New American Standard, that sounds like a question. Perhaps you've been raised up. But really what it says in the Greek is, because you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Now for the last several Sundays we've been talking about the already and the not yet perspective of Messianic prophecy. The Lord has come in His first incarnation, conceived in a virgin's womb, born as men are born, lived a perfect righteous life, died on the cross, three days later was resurrected and is now seated after His ascension at the right hand of the Father. And yet there are some aspects of prophecy that have yet to be fulfilled, namely His coronation as King of kings and Lord of lords according to Revelation chapter 19. But there are some things about the church that are true because of our union with Jesus. The first thing he says here in verse 12 is that we're chosen. Look at verse 12. He says, so that it's as a result of, of our union with Christ, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Two weeks ago I lost uh, one of my great heroes in the faith, Dr. R.C. Sproul. His teaching and ministry have uh, been a great blessing to me and I believe to many of you. A number of years ago on a Father's Day as I recall we gave as a gift to every man in our church a copy of Dr. Sproul's little book, The Holiness of God. And I still to this day get cards and notes and emails of appreciation from men in our church who have read that book. Dr. Sproul wrote many books, and one of the books that he wrote was called Chosen by God. I encourage all of you to read it. Paul is speaking here of the biblical doctrine of election. 
the fact that, as he says in Ephesians 1.4, he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the earth. Jesus told his disciples that you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And many people seem to think that's an unimportant doctrine, but it is very important. Why? Because of the nature of God. God is immutable, which means he cannot and will not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what that means for you and I as it relates to our salvation is that he will never change his mind about us. If you're facing 2018 with the fear that perhaps this would be the year you could lose your salvation, put that fear to rest. If someone has rightly said, do you know how you know you can't lose your salvation? Because if you could, you would. It's not up to us to become saved. It's not up to us to stay saved. It is uh, by God's choice. 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are a chosen people. It's by no mistake or happenstance that we are here as part of this fellowship. So we're chosen. That will never change. Now, secondly, the Bible calls us holy. I don't know about you, but I don't always feel holy. The Bible says that uh, the word holy means distinct and different. The angels hover around the throne of heaven declaring God's holiness day and night. And what makes God holy is what makes him so distinct and different is that he's sinless. He's perfect. None of us are. God is the only entity in the universe who is holy in and of himself. But Christians are made holy by the blood of Jesus. That is, we are positionally holy. When God the Father looks at the church today, he sees us without sin because those sins have been taken upon Christ at the cross. We are holy positionally, but we are being made holy through sanctification, practically, as he removes those habits of sin and he makes us more like Christ every day. Now really, this is a quotation from the book of Exodus that Paul quotes. He's speaking in the book of Exodus, that is, about the nation of Israel, that they were set aside as chosen, holy, and beloved by God. But it's also true of the church. And Peter says we've been set aside, made holy for the purpose of proclaiming the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness. We spent a whole Sunday a few weeks ago talking about soli deo gloria, that everything we do is to be done to the glory of God. We'll talk more about that as the morning progresses. He also says here that we are loved. My Bible says beloved. The beloved are those who are loved. Now hear this. I don't know what's going to happen in 2018 any more than you do, any more than I knew what was going to happen in 2017. I do know this, that no matter what happens in 2018, this truth abides. We are loved by God. And I know that for two reasons. Number one is by His proclamation and a two Number two, by his demonstration. Jesus proclaimed that God loved the world in John 3, 16 to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But I know it through his demonstration. Jesus says no greater love can a man have this than he would lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus clearly did. In fact, the Apostle Paul said he demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died us. Now, there's a wonderful implication to that truth for this church today. 
There is no need for anyone who is a born-again believer to worry or be anxious about the future. Romans 8, 28 through 31, And we know with certainty that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to His purpose, for those He foreknew He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Now hear this, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If it means anything to be loved by God, it means this, that God is for us. And if He is for us, He is with us. And if He is with us, we will fear no evil, even if in 2018 we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And statistically speaking, some of us in this room will. Now these things are fixed and true and will never change about the church. God chose us, He set us apart for service, and He loves us. But just a little caveat to that, that doesn't mean we are God. A fourth truth about the church that, we will, never, that will never change this out of heaven is that we are in process. Now the Bible calls this process sanctification, becoming more like Jesus over a lifetime. And in this chapter 3 of Colossians, Paul uses the imagery of putting on and taking off clothing. He says in verses 5 through 11 that we're to take off some things, namely anger, wrath, and malice, slander, abusive speech. Don't lie to one another. All evil practices are to be taken off as a dirty garment and set aside. And as we come to the end of 2017, it's a good mental image to say, let's take off those sins of the past and let's put on clothes of righteousness. Now what would it look like if all of us in this church made this kind of progress in sanctification in the year ahead? Well, we don't have to wonder. He tells us. Look at verse 12. He says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone should, as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. He says, first of all, after you take off those sins, put on compassion. Compassion is concern for others, for hurting people. There are hurting people all around us every day. And we should be moved by their need. Jesus had compassion for the sick, the hurting, the dying, and the sinner. And then he says, put on kindness. Now, I believe kindness is compassion in action. It's one thing to to feel bad for another person. It's another thing to do everything in your power to help them. That's kindness. And through that, we have to have a heart of humility. Humility, obviously, the opposite of pride. And sometimes as we do good deeds in the name of the Lord, we begin to take credit for it. Our heads are swelled. And uh, we become prideful. He says, don't do that. Remain humble and gentle. Gentleness is the willing to suffer so that someone else may make progress. And then he said, be patient, forgiving one another, love one another. It's a wonderful word, forbearance. It means putting up with a lot. We need to put up with a lot from others before we lose our cool. And then he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. 
But before that, he says to put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Remember, this is the imagery of getting dressed. And he says you put on the compassion, the kindness, the humility, the gentleness, the patience, the forgiveness. And then it's all tied together with the belt called love. So, so if you just make a resolution today, you know what, doggone it. Next year I'm going to be more compassionate. I'm going to be more humble and gentleness. You won't make it till Valentine's Day. Unless it is motivated by love. The greatest of all the virtues. And so uh, he calls us to have overarching and undergirding everything we do in his name. A heart of love. There, there's another truth about the church is that we're at peace. Uh, last Sunday we looked at Jesus title, the Prince of Peace. And he is uh, the embodiment of peace in a lot of different ways. First and foremost, and most importantly, he's made a way for us to have peace with God, our Creator. We come into the world enemies of God by our very nature. But Jesus, through the cross, has made a way where we can be restored and reconciled with our Creator. He's made it possible for us to have peace with one another in the context of the local church. Philippians 4 says He stands guard over our hearts and minds and gives us peace there. And then we saw that He gives us ultimately part of His kingdom, which is a kingdom of worldwide peace in the future. And so that's a, a truth that will ever be for the church. And then He calls us blessed. And people who are blessed ought to give thanks. I encourage all of you tonight before you uh, lay your head on your pillow to give thanks to God for His blessings. Enumerate them to Him and to one another before the new year begins. And then He just gives us a command. Verse 15, He says, Be thankful and let us all resolve to be more thankful people for the Lord's blessings in the year ahead. Now speaking of the Lord's blessings, we had many of them last year as a church family. The Lord once again gave us a spirit of unity, love for one another, I watched all of you minister to one another, and it, it's, it's wonderful to see how many of you are making such progress in sanctification. Uh, it was a blessing to see the Lord send new families, new members into our church, even as we sent some out to the mission field and to, to other places through their work. It's uh, been a blessing to see the baptismal waters so stirred and busy in the past year as we saw many come to saving faith. And it's been a blessing to see the Lord's financial provision for our church as once again 2017 uh, broke records as far as your generosity and your giving uh, to the local church. And so really that, that leads me uh, to, to segue into what I want to talk about today is our vision plan. I promised you that today we'd talk more about our vision plan. Now I want to back up and talk about the origin of the vision plan. About nine years ago, we built a new three-story building here on our campus. And when it was uh, completed, it left us with a little over $8 million in debt. That also happened to be the year that the stock market crashed. And uh, we found out very quickly that we don't like being in debt. Because uh, debt limits your ability to minister. Because believe it or not, the, the bank wants their money every month. And so we made a commitment that we were going to, as rapidly as the Lord would allow, pay down that debt. And so we got on a plan, and I'm happy to tell you that in those eight years that have intervened, the Lord has allowed us to pay over $8 million against that debt. And Lord willing, we are three payments away from being debt-free. 
But as we saw that balance going down, we, we realized we need to answer a very fundamental question when that day came to announce that we're debt free. And the, and the question is, so what? And, and its cousin, now what? What's the plan for the church now that we have this financial freedom? And, and that was the task put to our vision team. It began with a staff retreat with the pastors where we got away for two days and and we sought the Lord through prayer. Lord, what would you have us do as a church family? And then we put together a vision committee made up of the 11 chairmen of our standing committees, a member, another member from each committee, and, and then some uh, other people. It ended up being about 50 folks. And we began to meet quarterly for prayer and discussion and uh, to see what we believe the Lord had for us. And from those meetings came our vision plan that we presented to the church uh, during the last part of the year. And just by way of reminder, there are six commitments in that plan. The first of which is the term I mentioned earlier today, soli deo gloria. That everything we do, Lord willing, is going to be for His glory. Now that's based on Colossians 3.17, our text here. Look at it. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. The church does not exist to perpetuate itself. The church exists to glorify Christ. And so our very first commitment is that whether we add a ministry or a building or a staff member, it must meet the criteria, will this glorify Christ? And if we cannot answer in the affirmative of that, we're committed not to do that. Now the second commitment is spiritual development. And believe it or not, as we talk about sanctification, each of us plays a role in one another's sanctification. Part of our job as Christians is to help one another make progress in sanctification. That really is the purpose of the church. And we do that in a number of ways, but primarily it's through teaching one another the Word of God. Look at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another. And, and so it begins with the teaching of the Word. And we are committed here to expository preaching. That means preaching the text in context. And we are committed further to verse-by-verse -verse expository preaching. So next Sunday, uh, the 14th actually, uh, we're going to return to our verse-by-verse -verse study of the Gospel of Luke. And that will be our motif moving forward as it has been in the past. We're committed to discipleship with the Bible as the curriculum. We are committed to prayer, that we need the Lord, that He doesn't need us, but we need Him. James 1.5, if anyone needs wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. And we're committed to fellowship, and that includes through corporate worship. Look to what he says again. He says, teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. So when we gather like we have this morning and we sing, we are admonishing one another and we are teaching one another and we are helping one another in our spiritual development. So we're committed to that. Thirdly, we're committed to service, first to one another and then to the community. Scripture says that we are called to be one body. Christ is the head. We all are component parts of that body. Each part is important. But each of us is given a spiritual gift and we are tasked with using that gift to serve one another. But as a church, corporately, we're called to serve the community. We do that primarily 
through evangelism and outreach. We cannot affect change in the world if we stay in this room. We have to go out into the world. Jesus says that we're to be salt and light. And you don't take a light and put a bushel basket over it. It's got to be seen. You've got to be in the world. And uh, one of the first things uh, that, that we've done is that we've realigned our staff a little bit to address this issue. Dr. Michael Wright, who's been our family pastor, has now taken on a new role and a new title. His new title is Associate Pastor of Community Outreach and Leadership Development. And I have tasked him with leading out in this area of how can we be a light and salt in this community, right here in Keller, Texas. And he has some wonderful ideas. And if you'll be here next Sunday, January 7th, he's going to share those in all three services. I'm going to be uh, preaching, thankfully, over at our Mission Church, Foundation Baptist Church, sharing with them about what the Lord's been doing here and, and what we believe uh, their role in the future is as, as they move towards autonomy. And then Dr. Wright will be sharing here. And then that evening at 5.30, we're going to have a question and answer session, town hall meeting, if you will, and you're invited to be here to learn more about the vision plan. Now the next commitment is church planting and revitalization. I told you several weeks ago, if you'd be here today, I'd tell you where I believe the Lord is leading us to plant. But first, the recent history of church planting in our church. Did you know about uh, 10 years ago, the Lord uh, called a couple in our church, Scott and Judy Knox, to plant our first church. It's in Baker City, Oregon. Blue Ridge Baptist Church. Uh, and it's uh, still there today and doing very well. And uh, we love Scott and Judy so much. Then a few years later, the Lord uh, led Dr. Michael Waldrop and his wife Hope and their family to plant Desert Ridge Baptist Church in, uh, in uh, St. George, Utah. And uh, they now are autonomous. And in February, Brother Lawrence and Brother Bob are going to go out there and celebrate the fact that the Lord has allowed them now to purchase their first permanent building. And they're moving in and doing very well. And so, I'll tell you this, the Lord has put the American West on my heart. I did not grow up like a lot of you young people in the church, traveling all over the world from the time you were born. I, my world was very small growing up, living in a rural area. In fact, I was 23 years old before I ever got on an airplane. But when I started flying, the place I wanted to go was the West. I had read about it in books, and, and the first place I went was the Grand Canyon. And it was love at first sight. And I have loved the West ever since. And I travel there every time I get. I love to travel up and down the Pacific Coast Highway. I love the Rocky Mountains, love all the West. But what has struck me in over 20 years now of traveling in the West is the lack of gospel preaching churches in many of those cities. There are entire counties in the American West that do not have a gospel presence. And the Lord has put on my heart to try to do something about that. And that began in Utah. And uh, four years ago, you gave me a sabbatical. And I spent six weeks researching that part of the country. And I discovered 18 cities in southern Utah that, as far as I can tell, do not have a gospel witness. These are cities of a thousand people or more. And I believe the Lord is leading us to, to begin a residential church planting program here in Keller to take in young men from Southwestern Seminary and Criswell College and Dallas Theological and train them up and send them to the American West to plant churches. But, but to do that, we're going to have to forge 
partnerships with our SBC entities, other churches, and, and look, let's be honest, it's going to cost money to do that. We'll talk about that in a minute. The next commitment is, is to excellence in the essentials. We're, we're not reinventing the wheel here. We're going to be First Baptist Keller. We are committed to the Sunday school model. That is not changing. We're committed to corporate worship as we do it now. We're commitment, committed to fellowship. We're committed to the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, but to do that in a way that glorify God, glorifies God, we've, we need to make some improvements, I believe, to our facility, our present facility. Now, now, we're not reinventing the wheel, but we may be putting a fresh coat of paint on it because from time to time it needs it. Uh, this room needs some improvements. These uh, pews need to be changed. We, we got a new, very nice sound system this year. It's not paid for yet. And so these are some things that, that we need to look at in the future. But we are committed to doing everything we do, including worship, including the ordinances, including everything we do in this room to the glory of God and with excellence. And so that leads us to the final commitment, which is faithful stewardship. How do we pay for this? Now, would you agree with me that God has always been good to us? This church has been around since the 1880s. It's gone through a depression and two world wars, a fire and a flood. The Lord's been good to us. I, I uh, passed by on Highway 114 a few days ago before Christmas, the Waffle House. And I never passed that Waffle House that I don't thank the Lord. Because... Uh, Eighteen years ago, when I first moved here, I was in a pretty low spot in my life. I was out of money. I was trying to finish seminary. I didn't have many friends here. I'd, I'd left the church I loved in Mississippi to come here. And I was beginning to question whether I had heard the Lord correctly by coming here. And I had my Christmas dinner at the Waffle House. I think that was about the lowest point of my life. <laughs> And I'm not putting down Waffle House, but uh, I had my dinner surrounded by people who didn't want to be there on Christmas anymore than I did. And, I, and as I passed by with my little boy in the car last week, I took my phone out. I took a picture of the sign at the Waffle House. And I texted it to my very good friend, who also was at a low point in his life, who was sitting next to me at the lunch counter that day. He's my friend I've told you about that has a very important job in Washington, D.C. today and has an apple orchard in Virginia. At that time, we were very single with no prospects. And I just texted him. I said, the Lord's been real good to us. And he texted back immediately. He said, he was good to us then too. That's right. But I said, he's been especially been good to us since. As I spent this Christmas surrounded by my children, my family, my nieces and nephews and all of you, the Lord has just amazingly blessed me. But He's blessed this church as well. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so we are committed to faithful stewardship. That begins with financial transparency. We will never have a secret meeting here. We will never do anything without integrity. And so we're committed to that transparency as we have been in the past. 
some other commitments we've made through the vision plan. Number one, to limited debt. We, we found out after the stock market went down uh, how restricting debt can be. And, and we're committed to wise stewardship practices. And that begins with the establishment of a vision fund. And as we announce debt freedom on April 1st, we're also going to announce the creation of the vision fund. Now on your church envelopes presently, it has three boxes. It says general fund and building fund and a global impact offering, which is our missions offering. And so beginning in our April quarter, that box that says building fund is going to be replaced with vision fund. Now the vision fund is uh, for the purpose of completing the vision plan. And that begins with this. Right off the top, 10% of every dollar designated to church planning and revitalization. So if you give a dollar to the vision fund, 10 cents of it is going to go to the missions committee, and they're going to be charged with distributing that as needs arise in church planning and revitalization. Now the balance of that dollar, 90 cents, is going to be used to fund capital improvements on our campus and to accrue for future expansion. Now with that, there are some other commitments. We are committed to accruing 50% of all future construction costs before beginning a project. Now, I don't know that we'll build any buildings, but if the need arises before we turn a shovel of dirt, we're gonna to have to have 50% of it up front. That will limit our debt. Secondly, we're gonna limit all debt to less than two times our annual budget. Our annual budget this year was right at $5 million. And so two times that is $10 million. And so uh, we're, we're, we're less than $250,000 today. And, and so that's our plan to limit our debt. And then thirdly, to build on an as-needed basis. We will not build on speculation. Speculation is if you build it, they will come. We have seen too many cases in our area in recent years uh, of churches who've built grand structures in the hope and belief that people will come and help pay it off. And that doesn't always happen and it can put a church in a bind. And, and if we need to build a building, we'll build a building. And your pastor will write the first check. But we only build if there is a need to build. Now the question is, what, what can you do? Well, first thing you do is pray. And sometimes we dismiss that and we just say it out of habit. Oh, I'll pray for you. I'm calling on you to pray because it is the most important thing you can do. Pray for wisdom. Lord, lead us. And look, we, we are human. We've said that from the beginning. As best as we can discern, we believe this is the Lord's direction for the church. But if at any point we come to understand that, that He has a different direction for us, that we would have the humility to submit to His will and, and not stubbornly follow our, our own way. So, so you pray. And then secondly, you can attend next Sunday. Attend in the morning and hear Dr. Wright's vision for outreach to this community. And then attend Sunday evening when we have our town hall meeting, our question and answer session concerning our uh, vision plan. Now, before we go, I need to thank some people. First of all, I want to thank our staff. Um, that includes our pastors, who have helped to put this plan together from the beginning. It includes our assistants in the office who've worked tirelessly putting together materials and literature. It includes our custodial staff who work faithfully on weekends as we've had this uh, vision plan meeting. I also want to thank our vision committee members 
who have uh, taken this task very seriously. They've been very prayerful. I want to thank our prayer team who have been meeting with me every Monday morning to pray through these decisions. And I want to thank the church family for your patience. This has been an 18-month process, and it's not finished yet. And so don't stop now. You keep praying for the church. Specifically, pray for our unity, that Satan wouldn't use this time as an as opportunity to bring division in our church, but that our unity would not only continue, but that it would be strengthened uh, through this process. And ultimately, you pray that God would be glorified through First Baptist Church of Keller in 2018 and in years ahead. Let's pray together now. Father in heaven, Lord, we uh, thank you for your word as we've seen in Colossians chapter 3. Father, the state of the church is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. We are chosen before the foundation of the earth to be here today and to be your children. We have been made holy positionally through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and we are being made holy through sanctification every day. And Father, we are members of, of one body, the church. And we are most importantly loved by you. And because we are loved by you, Lord, we will fear no evil, even though we may walk this year through the valley of the shadow of death. And Father, I do thank you for all those who've participated in this vision plan process. But Lord, we know you're God and you're sovereign and we're not. As best as we can discern, Lord, we have uh, come to understand that this is your will. And so, Father, we want your will above anything else. Guide us every step of the way. Stop us, Lord, if we're about to make a mistake. Give us boldness where the door is open. Father, in short, use this congregation to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.